up, everybody? Welcome back. Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, March 10th, and this is your post-game podcast for the Vegas Golden Knights 3-2 overtime victory over the Edmonton Oilers last night to increase their lead in the Pacific Division to a whopping three points. And the Golden Knights now 2-1 and one on this critical five-game road trip, and they've gotten the wins that they desperately needed that we've been talking about for the last couple of days. And all is right in the world, except for the rain. The rain, for some reason, today has come down. I have no idea why it's raining. You know when you go on TV or you go online, and it's like, oh, it doesn't look like it's going to rain today. It doesn't say it's going to rain, and then all of a sudden the rain comes down, and you're like, what the hell is this crap? Well, at least it's not a rainy day and a gloomy day for the Golden Knights. They're in first place in the Pacific Division. All is well with the world. We will be discussing this game momentarily. But first of all, hello, friends. How are you? How is your Tuesday going? Hope it's going well. Hopefully you're having as good of a day as the Golden Knights are, knowing that they are indeed three points ahead for first place in the Pacific. Welcome back everybody, to the show. I am your host, Danny Webster. I do appreciate you stopping by for today's episode, as we will be breaking down Vegas, Edmonton last night. A lot of talking points to be had in a game that was very wacky, but good nonetheless for the Golden Knights. They got the result that they needed, and as we discussed yesterday, if you can get the wins any way you can get them at this time of the year, that is the most important thing. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, uh, the usual housekeeping items that we need to get out of the way uh, before we move forward, especially to those of you who have not listened to this podcast before, and this is the first time you're hearing my, I, I won't even say lovely voice, my my uh, random radio man voice, I guess would be a good way to put it, that likes to stutter and not put words in coherent sentences. But welcome to you. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, as it is a daily podcast, Talking about the Vegas Golden Knights here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you consume your podcasting. We're more than likely on there. I, I'm more than 70% sure we're on other platforms, but I'm not entirely sure. But at least if you can find us on other platforms, please let me know. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at LockdownVHK. Follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. You can also send emails, because emails are lovely too. Email Emails are a nice little electronic message that just puts a little bow on top of a nice greeting or whatever. Uh, you can send emails to LachlanGoldenKnights at gmail.com if your heart desires. And once again, I do welcome you and hope you enjoy your stay to this uh, crazy, wacky roller coaster that we have called a hockey team in Las Vegas that is, again, first place in the Pacific Division. So, let's... Let's discuss this game, shall we? Because, again, full disclosure, for those who listened to yesterday's episode, I did not watch the game in its entirety. Uh, I was covering two basketball games last night at the Orleans Arena, the future home of the Henderson Silver Knights. Um, I was there until about 12 last night, didn't get home to about 12.30, 1 o'clock, ended up watching the highlights. So I caught a little bit of what I saw, combined that with looking at the box score. And all in all, a couple of things stood out to me. Number one, this was truly the definition 
of get a win any way you can do it. The Golden Knights had 48 shots on goal last night. Now, I know Miko Koskinen has been on a tear his previous two starts. I think we talked about it yesterday. He had 45 saves one night, 42 saves the next start. He has been on a roll. Part of it is he's been on a roll. At the same time, the Oilers have not done a good job uh, limiting the shots in front of him. Last night was no different. The Golden Knights had 48 shots on goal. It wasn't like there were like 35 shots from the point. Vegas got a lot of good chances in front, a lot of dangerous chances in front where they really should have won this game like 6-2 to in all retrospect. Um, But that's how good Koskinen was. He made a lot of big saves in big moments, uh, kept the game tied really for the most part. There were a lot of moments in the first and second period where Vegas really could have taken over this game. I mean, they outshot Edmonton 15 to three. Okay. They all, okay. Here's what I was blown away by. They had Edmonton had three shots on goal in the first period. Okay. One of them was the deflection by Alex Chasen to get the Oilers on the board. Um, to put them up one nothing in the first period. I think I saw, because I had the game on my computer while I was at Orleans Arena, I think there was a graphic up there that said that Vegas had like the following, what was it, 17 shots on goal before Edmonton finally had one, and I think they went about nine minutes without a shot. Now, I know, here's, here's the other caveat that I haven't even mentioned yet. Connor McDavid did not play. And Connor McDavid... There's a reason why he's the best player in the world. Part of it is because for the last couple of years, he has been forced by hook or by crook to literally drag the lifeless carcass that is the Edmonton Oilers offense literally by himself and score and assist in any way he can. Fortunately, now Dreisaitl has emerged into a superstar player, so it's not like he has to do it all himself, but I digress. So Connor McDavid did not play. Connor McDavid did not play. The Oilers could not generate any offense outside of Chase Hound's goal. They did get 11 shots in the second period. It, it took a little bit, but Edmonton finally got things going in the second period. They eventually did t- uh, take the 2-1 lead in the third period off uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins' goal off a Tomas Nosek turnover right in front of Flurry, And then Jonathan Marchessault tied the game about four minutes later to make it a 2-2 game before Shea Theodore ended it in overtime. So the Golden Knights outshot them, outchanced them. Really, it was by all account, again, by all accounts, Vegas should have won this game six to two. They sh- there should not have been any reason why this game was as close as it was, nor should it have gone into overtime. They outshot them 48 to 24 overall. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury had to make some very miraculous saves to keep Vegas in it, including the one in overtime about a minute, about a, uh, about a minute before Theodore's winning goal that, uh, put the golden Knights ahead for good in overtime three to two flurry played well, uh, much better than the last two starts that he had. Again, didn't see a lot of shots as, as we're accustomed to seeing, but he, I mean, it's the most shots he's seen in about a, 
good number of weeks. So to stop 22 of 24, that's not bad. It's still close to a 920 save percentage. You'll take that any day of the week. Um, Jonathan Marshall now with goals in back-to-back games, giving him 22 on the year. That goal uh, was big. I mean, the empty net goal, it happened. He got off the schneid. This goal was huge in particular because Koskinen is just coming off of making a couple of very big saves, a couple of very big saves. Um, and then on the ensuing draw, Stasny loses it. The puck kicks to Riley Smith, who finds Marshall all alone, and he beats Koskinen top shelf. If this is the sign of Marshall getting going, then he's getting going at the right time. He went, he went 10 games without a goal before the empty netter against Calgary. If he if this is the sign that Marshall Soul is back to uh to elite goal scoring status, if there is such a thing for Jonathan Marshall, he may not hit thirty this year, but he is definitely on pace to having himself one heck of a year, even though he's been really quiet for the better part of the second half of the season. Uh Nicholas Waugh also scored a goal. It was it was probably should have gone to Nate Schmidt, but they gave him the assist. Uh, but Nicholas Waugh did get the goal to tie the game at one in the first period. And, of course, Shea Theodore. Uh, back-to-back games with game-winning goals. This one was a beauty of a uh, of a shot off the feed from Marshall. So Shea Theodore is coming into his own at the right time. Part of it probably has to do with the fact that Pete DeBoer is coaching, and part of it has to do with the fact that Pete DeBoer has uh, been able to coach some very well-renowned defenseman in his time as a coach more notably in San Jose and Theodore is getting that kind of treatment as to being a top flight defenseman he led all Vegas skaters in ice time at 24 15 he's been averaging 25 26 minutes a night in some instances he has been literally He's been literally put in almost every single situation the Golden Knights have needed him in, except for uh, except for shorthanded purposes, and uh, he hasn't even been able to be needed on the penalty kill in some instances. So at least you have that going for you. But twenty four fifteen plays two fifty five on the power play, scores the game winning goal, is career high thirteenth goal of the season, and I mean we we're we're slowly forgetting. Shea Theodore is 24 years old, and he's locked up for, I believe, the next six years. He's going to be a cornerstone on this franchise for a long time, and I don't think it's I don't think it's outlandish to think that with him nearing his first 50-point season as an NHL defenseman, in the next year or two, it would not shock me in the least if Shea Theodore was in the running for a Norris. Now, I know it, it's crazy to think that, but I mean, you look at the future prospects of defensemen as it stands right now. I mean, I mean, there's John Carlson. He'll probably be around for a little bit longer knowing how good Washington is. Um, at some point, I think if the Sharks turn it around, you have to look at Carlson and Burns and see how they respond. Um, Seth Jones is another guy. If he stays healthy, he could be a prospect for winning a Norris at some point. Victor Hedman. Uh, still very much capable of putting up absurd numbers. At some point in the next year or two, we're going to have to start putting Shea Theodore in that conversation. Because not only has he been really good at setting guys up this year, his goal-scoring prowess has been amazing. He, he looks like someone you could just throw into a top six. 
is like, oh, can you get us a goal? Yeah, absolutely. Like the goal against Calgary that won them the game on Sunday, really, that was a lucky goal. I mean, he threw it from an impossible angle, goes off uh, Mangiapane's stick, and it beats Riddick up top. But I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of wicked shot that Shea Theodore has. You know what I mean? It, it just looks like he is so calm and he's more collected with the puck in his possession. And I know that it's crazy to compare the two seasons, but, you know, I look back to year one and the lasting images I have of year one, Shea Theodore were not the game winning goal. He scored against Tampa Bay were not the crazy assists that he had throughout the season, not the goals he scored in the playoffs. No, what stood out to me was a young defenseman swallowed in the moment against the Washington Capitals in Game 3 of a must-win Stanley Cup final game. And if he doesn't make that turnover that leads to the Devontae Smith-Pelly goal, who knows what happens. Maybe Vegas ties it up. They end up winning it and change the complexion of the series. It, It shows in the short amount of time just how good Theodore has been. In the, in the short amount of time that he's been a starting defenseman, a top four defenseman for the Golden Knights, and how much his game has evolved ever since he's gotten into really, you know, this top four role. And eventually, you know, in the coming, I'd have to guess in the coming years, top two. He's just been that good. I was just, and it's not even just the offensive game. That is amazing with Theodore. We know how good he's been offensively. It's defensively that he's also made such a massive improvement. And it it goes without saying, you can be a very good offensive-minded defenseman because the Norris Trophy is all about putting up the most points and being the best offensive-minded defenseman. Shea Theodore has put in the work to not only be a really good offensive defenseman, but to really be a, a critical two-way guy for Vegas in that aspect. I was just looking this up on Evolving Hockey. And since February 1st, the Golden Knights have three defensemen in the top 15 at takeaways per 60. Now, one of these names is going to be a little bit askew. I'd have to look back to when they acquired him in the trade, but Alec Martinez is on there at 2.24. Shea Theodore is at 2.32. Now, that was good for 11th in the league since February 1st. He has been outstanding for the better part of the last month and a half where the Golden Knights have had to kind of make a change in their defense core. And the reason why I picked February 1st, because that was actually the first game that Zach Whitecloud played uh, since being recalled from AHL Chicago. And, and initially, I wanted to see what White Cloud was doing and how well he was doing from a, uh, from a possession standpoint and as well as from a, uh, from a uh, takeaway turnover aspect. Because initially, I was looking at White Cloud, and his Corsi has been really good. I think it's been at least 60 or close to 61% in the 16 games that he's played for Vegas since being recalled back on February 1st. But the fact that he's been so active defensively and been so sound defensively to force these takeaways 
has actually been really good. And again, I'd probably have to dive a little bit more into the numbers to see how Theodore and Martinez work as a pairing and how they've worked because that's really at, I mean, unless Nate Schmidt can turn into the Nate Schmidt from year one and, and, and in all theory, Nate Schmidt has for the better part played very well in the last number of, uh, in the last number of weeks. But right now, I think your top pairing has to be Theodore Martinez, just because Theodore has just been so good at every aspect of where he is on the ice. And as well as Martinez, the addition of him being, you know, not really a shutdown guy, but a sound defensive guy, kind of like a, a Braden McNabb light type of defenseman that allows Theodore to make the plays in space the way you'd want him to. So it it really has been, for all intents and purposes, a breakout year for Shea Theodore. And you look back to when he announced that you know he had undergone surgery for testicular cancer um, earlier in the year, and just where he's come from that that scare. If if, if I mean that doesn't get detected at the world championships. I mean, who knows when it does. Um, but for him to go from, you know, cancer scare to top flight defenseman, especially in year three in this system has, has really been absolutely remarkable. And, and I can only imagine given the success that Pete DeBoer has had with his defenseman over the last number of years, I can only imagine what next year is in store is going to be in store for Shea Theodore. If I mean, if we think 46 points right now is ridiculous, I mean, again, I think in the next year or two, we need to put him in the conversation for the Norris. We have to. Like, it, it, he might not put up, like, 70, 80 points, but he's going to be in the conversation in terms of points. He's going to be a 55, 60-point guy at this rate in the next coming years. Now, I think it would benefit him greatly to having a full uh, off-season in uh, a full training camp, obviously this year um, is a major exception, and that's understandable. The year before that was the contract holdout, and of course that turned out to be great for both parties because Shea Theodore got his money, got his term, and the Golden Knights have their future defenseman star uh, for the next five, six years. So, I mean, it, it ended up working out for everybody involved. But, I mean, I, I, see, I seriously believe that at this rate, the way Theodore is playing right now, we need to put him in the conversation as like a top five, top maybe top three defenseman in the league uh, in the in the near future. And at this rate, if he continues to put up the points the way that he has under DeBoer, I, I don't think it's that far off to believe that he will be one of those guys going forward. And you know what, that guy who was you know, the the top four defenseman, big-eyed rookie defenseman in year one when they went to the cup final. Get this Shea Theodore in the playoffs. He's going to be a huge difference maker for Vegas. He's going to be an absolute difference maker for the Golden Knights if they need a, if they need to get a goal or if they need to have a sound defensive play. 27 is likely making it for them. And you need as many X factors as you can get going into the playoffs, 27 will definitely be one of them. And he's already proven he can be that kind of a difference maker. Get him out there for another 25, 26 minutes, 27, maybe 28 maybe in the playoffs, and watch what he can do. 
If he stays healthy, sky is the limit for Shea Theodore. All right. Uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on before we get out of here. The uh, as as most of you know, yesterday's podcast went up uh, before uh, Pete DeBoer spoke to the media in Edmonton, so we really didn't have an update on rosters and whatnot. Um, but Alex Tuck is been sent back to Las Vegas for further treatment on his lower body injury. He suffered a setback. He was scheduled to come off long term IR yesterday and if he had come off long-term ir the the expectation would have been uh brandon peary would have been sent back down to angel chicago that was not the case the golden knights uh kept peary on the third line and tuck has been sent back to vegas if unless there are any setbacks probably expect tuck to be back at the conclusion of the road trip and start with their final few home games left in the season the other thing to note here is that Chandler Stevenson did not play last night. Uh, I don't remember if it was a lower body. I think it was a lower body injury, something of the sort. And uh, it was a game time decision for Pete DeBoer to throw his third line center out there. So he ended up not going in that time. So they still went with they went with uh, Cousins, Carrier. And uh, and uh, what's his name? Peary. See, I can't even remember names anymore. They went with Cousins, Peary, and Carey in the third line last night. And then John Merrill had to play his second game as a fourth line forward, which, I mean, why the hell not? I mean, the, going in, the guy was at a point per game, a goal per game. I mean, that's obviously dwindled down to half now as a fourth line forward. But uh, that is the current injury front as, as, as of this moment. The Golden Knights do not play again until Friday. Uh, I believe they are, they've come back here. They will practice tomorrow, and then they will travel the next day to, I can't remember if it's Colorado or Minnesota. I can't remember, what, I can't remember which one it is anymore. Uh, at least I believe that is the plan that they are coming back here. So we'll probably have an update later on in the week. Uh, regarding Chandler Stevenson and Alex Tuck. If I had to put a guess on it, I would say he won't be back until really the beginning of this final stretch of home games uh, once they conclude with their five-game road trip, which now apparently has a lot more meaning now that they've... Either it has a lot more meaning or it doesn't have a, a lot of meaning now that they've won the two games that they need to win. So could Vegas really afford to go 0-2 in this final stretch? Absolutely. But the fact that they were able to get this back-to-back, I know McDavid wasn't in there, but again, you try and get the wins any way you can do it. And Edmonton was under that same mantra. It doesn't matter how you do it. If your goalie's got to make 55,000 saves and you don't have your superstar in the lineup and you can still squeeze a point out of that, I'd still call that a success for Edmonton, given the circumstances. So Golden Knights now 2-1 and one on their road trip. They are closing in on really separating themselves from the pack It's as far as the uh, Pacific Division goes. I think it's three points on Edmonton. What was it? Six or seven now on Calgary. And a whole bunch more between Vancouver and Arizona. A lot is happening in the Pacific Division. And the Golden Knights still have six more division games to go. So it's not like they're out of the woods just yet. There's still a long way to go, but you keep winning those four-point games, or in this rate, 
will be a three-point game, basically, since it went into overtime. You keep winning those kinds of games, you're going to be in pretty good shape heading into April. All right, so that will do it for me as far as today goes, everybody. Um, One reminder, uh, mailbag is likely going to be tomorrow. So if you have any questions that you would like answered on this mailbag, please tweet them to at LockedOnVGK or at DannyWebster21 or send them an email to LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com. We still got some questions here. We got five or six that we're going to answer tomorrow, but if you got any more, uh, please be sure to get those in. We'll have a lot of fun with that one. And then Thursday, we will be likely previewing the next game on the docket, which, again, I believe is Colorado. I'm not entirely sure because literally when you're focusing on just the Edmonton, Calgary, it's actually Minnesota. So Minnesota Thursday. So I'm not even sure if they're going to be coming back today. They might. They It wouldn't make sense to... They probably flew straight to Minnesota for all I know. So how about we just ignore everything I just said? Erase the last five minutes from your memory. Is that good? Sounds good to me. Um, But anyway, yeah, send in your questions uh, for tomorrow. And then Thursday, Thursday, I think, is going to be a post-game pod. Since it is a 5 o'clock puck drop on Thursday, it will likely be a post-game pod. And then Sunday is a noon game against Colorado so that pod will be Monday. It will be a post-game pod as well. So post-game pod Thursday, mailbag tomorrow. Get your questions in. I will answer them to the best of my abilities. Um, and if you have anything else about, uh, you know, donut chicken sandwiches or something like that, feel free to send them my way, and I will do my best to answer them. So thank you guys for downloading, sharing, listening, subscribing. All of that jazz is greatly appreciated. Uh, if you are an Apple Podcast, by the way, if you'd be so kind as to leave a rating and a review, uh, lets people know where to find the podcast and lets me know what I can do better as far as being a good podcaster, whatever the case may be. Um, I'm always appreciative of your comments and your thoughts on the show, whatever they may be, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Um, so if you could do that, that would be great. If not, that's okay. I still love the fact that you're listening. So thank you guys. I will see you tomorrow for the mailbag episode. Until then, I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, and I will see you tomorrow when we open the mailbox. Have a good one.